Get back to where we were in Luke chapter 2 is where we left off last time. We were in our journey through this gospel as told to us by Luke. So Luke chapter 2, when we left off a few weeks ago, Jesus was born and the shepherds uh, were there not to witness the actual birth, but the aftermath uh, to go see Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger and all those things that the angels had told the shepherds actually had happened and the shepherds went away glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as that had been told them. And so we pick up the story of right after Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, and I'm going to read verses 21 through 40, and that will be our text for this morning, and we'll step back and take a look at it. The question I want to sort of begin to put in your mind this morning is, who do you want to be? It's an easy question to ask at the new year. Um, A lot of us think about things that we might want to change over the next year. A lot of us think about all the things that have happened over the past year and how we don't want those things to continue or we how, how we want certain things to continue. It might not even be the best question to ask, as, you know, coming from a biblical perspective. Maybe it should be, who has God called you to be as opposed to who do you want to be? But, but as Christians, from a Christian perspective, who do you want to be? As a Christian, who do you want to be? And I think sometimes it's more important than answering the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's of how am I going to accomplish it. I want to sort of take a a broader look at who do I want to be in the general sense. And I think there are some things in this text this morning that can help us to, to shape that as we look at the first few days of Jesus's life and the things that surrounded it. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, the Word of God says, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Then there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, 
and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned from Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Who do you want to be is the question that we asked. Maybe, as I said before, maybe even the the more important question is, who is this child? And who did he begin to be? Who is he surrounded by? Or some of the things that I want us to look at this morning, the characters that surround even the early days of Jesus and how they are described, either implicitly or explicitly, either obviously as stated in the text or just sort of implied by the actions that we see in the text. And so looking back at verse 21, it says, And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So clearly, even from our starting point here in verse 21, Mary and Joseph were obedient people. Mary and Joseph cared about the law of God. They were good Jews. They said, this is what God expects us to do as Jewish people, and this is what we are going to do. An angel came and said, hey, you're going to have a son. You're not going to get pregnant by Joseph. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you'll conceive, and you'll have this baby as a virgin, and it's going to be an amazing thing. And Mary's like, wow, this is, I can't believe this is happening. This is amazing. But she listens to what the angel says, and she makes sure that the baby is named Jesus, as the angel Gabriel had told her to do. So they're obedient. They, they obey the word of God. So he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was called Jesus. And then verse 22, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So just these several verses, after Jesus is born, after the shepherds come and see, wow, this is amazing, this host of angels, this multitude of angels has declared to us that this child has been born, and we went and saw, and what they said was true And Mary and Joseph are just thinking to themselves, wow, this is amazing. God is telling other people about what is happening. But they don't leave it to other people to be the ones who are obedient. They don't leave it to other people. They don't leave it to Jesus to say, well, you're going to be the Savior, so good luck figuring out how to do that. They do what they know to do. They do what they're supposed to do as they are commanded by their God think this is a good example for us as Christians, but even for Christ Himself. See, I think God clearly wanted to put His Son in a position where He was going to be surrounded by people who obeyed Him. And this is the picture that we get of Mary and Joseph. When you think for your own self, many of us here, most of us here, All of us, I think, who are adults here have children, have had children. Maybe they're grown up. Maybe they're still growing. Just think to yourself, what kind of parent am I being 
Am I being a parent who is obedient to God? Am I being a parent who models after what is commanded of me in God's word for my children, maybe for my grandchildren? Jesus was surrounded by this. It's a good example for us. I want to be like Mary and Joseph. I want to be obedient. God's called me to be obedient. He's called me to be holy, to be set apart. And I want to be like that. And so we see here... They brought him up to Jerusalem because they were probably still in Bethlehem at the time, just a few miles away from Jerusalem. There in verse 22, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, brought him to the temple. They offered a sacrifice. A few things, sort of tidbits that we can learn about Mary and Joseph is that we already knew in all likelihood that she was pretty young, that they were both probably pretty young. But we can also learn here not just that they were obedient, not just that they were young, but that they were poor. So Jesus is born into a poor family. How do we know this? Because they offered what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. From that, if you look back at Leviticus 12, you don't have to turn there, but in Leviticus 12, talking about the law of the Lord, as was given through Moses to his people, to God's people, in Leviticus 12, it is told in the law, what should be given for male who's born. And it says in verse 6 of chapter 12, And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. But if you skip down to verse 8, we learn why they did not offer a lamb. There's no lamb in, in Luke chapter 2. But verse 8 of chapter 12 of Leviticus says, And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So if she can't afford a lamb, she should do two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so that's what we see that she's doing. So we know from Luke chapter 2 that... They were poor. This also goes to show that the wise men had probably not yet come. Um, they were not at the manger, just in case you weren't sure. In all likelihood, I mean, you know, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but from all the evidence that we have, it's pretty clear that the wise men from Matthew 1 and 2 and from our text here, they did not yet have the gold and frankincense and, frankincense and myrrh that would have been a lot of money. They, they didn't have that with them at this time. Otherwise, they would have been able to afford a lamb. So there you go. There's your fun aside and a reason why the wise men should not be put in the manger. But, okay, moving on to more important things. <laughs> one, one of the things that, that I, I think are important for us to recognize here is that Mary and Joseph were obedient and that Jesus himself Jesus submitted himself to be under the law, that God submitted Jesus, and Jesus even submitted himself to be under the law. In Galatians 4.4, why is this important? Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, 
born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So I think Luke records this for us because we don't really have it in the other Gospels, but he records this for us because he wants to make it clear from the outset that Jesus was a Jew and he was a good Jew raised by good Jewish parents, obedient. He was obedient just as his parents were obedient. He lived under the law. And he did that so that he might redeem those who were under the law. And so Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law. But if we're thinking that he was just talking about Jews, this is where Simeon comes into the story and helps to clarify that this redemption that God has sent through his son is not just for the Jews, but it is for all of us. Verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So a few things there to look at for Simeon. He was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for God to save Israel. He was waiting for there to be resolution. He was waiting for something to happen that had, that had not yet happened. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, this is an emphasis that Luke has. An emphasis on the Holy Spirit being active even at the outset of Jesus' coming into this world. The Holy Spirit was active. Maybe God didn't speak to his people as an entire group, but God was still speaking to individuals through the Spirit. And he told Simeon, verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So another reference to the Spirit. And a third reference to the Spirit in verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, there we have it again, Mary and Joseph doing what they're supposed to according to the law. Verse 28, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, you've, I think you've probably come across the story before, but it is quite an intriguing and strange circumstance, turn of events. Mary and Joseph are there doing what they're supposed to be doing, and all of a sudden this guy kind of swoops in and takes the child and is like, ha! Ah! And they're like, uh, is this supposed to be happening? Like, I mean, I think they only let legitimate people into the temple area. Um, yeah, what's happening? But, but you kind of also have to think, I mean, God's already brought into their company shepherds. He's, he's already brought people in to meet this child Jesus where they had to wonder. I mean, it says Mary pondered all these things in her heart. It says at the end of this section how Mary and Joseph pondered these things, how they, how they wondered about these things, how they said, wow. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. It's just amazing that the events that surround God putting Jesus into this earth and how Luke is giving us a testimony 
of how he made sure to make it known that this was not just some regular occurrence. This, these were not just regular people bringing a regular boy in to do the regular things that the law required. Yes, they did the regular things, but this was a special boy. This was God's son. And so Simeon has been waiting and waiting, and he has been promised to him. Maybe people thought he was crazy. Maybe he told his, his relatives, maybe he told his neighbors, look, I'm not going to die before the Christ comes. And they're like, okay, you know, sure, you just keep on thinking that. But this man is described as righteous and devout. Another example for us. I think about who do, who do I want to be? I want to I be a man who is led by the Spirit. I want to be a man who is described as righteous and devout. And so he, by the Spirit, is led into the temple at that time when Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to purify him. And he took him up in his arms, verse 28, and blessed God and said... Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And so we see there that this man Simeon in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. This baby is salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And just in case we're not sure that he means the entire world, Jews and Gentiles, when he says all peoples, he references the Old Testament, Isaiah 49.6. You can also look at Isaiah 42.6, which he's basically quoting here. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And I don't think this is just a light that is meant to be seen from a distance. I think this is light that exposes one's own heart. And, I, and Simeon even references this idea as he continues to talk to Mary. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Wow, who is this child going to be? Remember, they asked that question in chapter one about John the Baptist, who then will this child be? And then we sort of left off that a few weeks ago when we were looking at the beginning of Luke chapter 2, who is Jesus going to be then? If he has that much more of a grand entrance than John the Baptist had, who is Jesus going to be? And his father and his mother marveled at what this strange, random man says about their son. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, look, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. When you're talking about something being revealed, oftentimes what do you think of? Is there anything that comes to mind when you think of something being revealed? Oftentimes it's easy to think, especially biblically, about light. John in his gospel talks a lot about light when he describes Jesus coming into the world in the great first few verses of his gospel. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John chapter 3, we have that great verse 16, but just a few verses later, in verse 19, it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed, revealed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Light reveals many things. And typically when you think about what this means, what Simeon is saying, biblically, when your thoughts are exposed, when the thoughts from many hearts are revealed, those thoughts are usually thoughts of darkness. Those thoughts are usually wicked things. Those thoughts are typically not great things. In the Bible, I think every time a phrase like this is used, that thoughts are revealed, the thoughts of the heart, it's usually a bad thing. And what happens whenever your thoughts are revealed, whenever our thoughts are revealed, whenever the works of evil come into the light, as it said there in John chapter 3, oftentimes our first response is just to sort of recoil back and try to find the darkness again. Whenever you're confronted, whenever I'm confronted with the truth, whenever I do something that I shouldn't do and, and I'm reprimanded, the first thing reaction that I typically have is I want to defend myself. I want to legitimize whatever it is that I've done. And I do it way too often. And I think that's our nature oftentimes is to just recoil back and find that little hope of darkness that we were crouching around in, that we were hiding behind. But when I think about who I want to be, I look at the example of Mary and Joseph. I look at the example of of Simeon, who has waited and waited, who has believed what he has been told, as we have to believe what we're told in God's Word. And I have to question whether or not whenever I'm confronted with the truth that Jesus is a, is a figure who will divide. He's not just a figure who will bring peace, but He will bring division. He says this himself later on in Luke's gospel, I think specifically in Luke chapter 19. He says, I've not come to bring peace, I've come to bring division so that a father is against his children, so that neighbor is against neighbor. This is what Simeon is, is saying will happen in the ministry of Jesus that those even in Israel... Look back again at verse 34, where he starts talking to Mary. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. It's been referenced before in Zechariah's prophecy in in chapter 1, in Mary's song especially, 
how you have the humble being lifted up, but how you have the high and mighty being lowered down. This is the idea that comes across again as Luke presents it to us, as has been told to us by this prophet Simeon. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Often commentators will say that this is a reference to Mary being at Jesus' crucifixion. But maybe more so, it's, it's a reference to early on in Jesus' ministry where even his own family tries to tell Jesus, look, Jesus, just take a step back. You're kind of getting crazy in all the things that you're saying. We're not really sure you really are who you say you are at this point. You've not done anything for us to truly believe that you are the Savior of the world and that you know more than all these other high-ranking officials and all these priests. You go into the synagogue and you teach, but because you bring division, maybe we want to just protect you from those things that are happening instead of allowing you to do the ministry that you've been called to do. Because we really don't believe fully yet. Maybe they had, maybe Mary herself still had some level of doubt before that time of Jesus being put on the cross. I mean, how often do you live this life as a Christian and it comes to your attention that Jesus is Lord and that you are not? How often are we exposed to that fact? I mean, how many times a day do you have to remind yourself that I'm not the one who's in control here, and that as much as I want to act like I'm in control, that I'm not. As much as I want to act like I can determine my own fate, that I can control these situations, that I can determine what's going to happen and what's not going to happen, how often are we tempted to believe that we can control these things? How often are we tempted to believe that my will is more important than God's will? How often am I tempted to depend on myself instead of relying on Christ and on the Spirit of God? Verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, I want to sort of step back here and remind us that Luke is an historian, that Luke is interviewing people around this area, and he is giving to us, he's giving to Theophilus and to us now, years later, all of these specifics, especially about Anna, because people would have known about this woman. Jews around this time would have heard about her. They would have witnessed her. If she was 
around the temple day and night for years and years and years, she would have been known to people and she would have been believed. She was a woman who is described there at the end of verse 37. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And what is it that she actually does explicitly when she comes across Christ? And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. You, you see here that, that she is a woman who is concerned about the ways of God and who has devoted her life, most of which has been as a widow. I mean, she's either 84 years old or she's been a widow for 84 years. She could be over 100 years old. And so for years and years, she has been sitting at the temple, going back and forth from the temple, night and day, day after day after day, devoting herself to worshiping God, to fasting and praying. And so you don't just have this man, Simeon, but you have, as it's told in Deuteronomy 17, that, you know, according to Jewish custom, Jewish law, you're not supposed to believe just one witness. You're supposed to believe the witness of two or three. And so you have a second one here, not just Simeon, but you have Anna. And people would have known about her. And how was she described? She was one who worshipped. And she gave thanks to God and she began to evangelize. She began to say, look at this boy. Look at who this is and what he's going to do. He is going to bring redemption. And then you have the story rounded out again in verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Who do you want to be? We can see here the beginning years of Christ, which we don't really have in the other Gospels. This is really the only picture that we have, this and what we'll go through next week, of the early years of Jesus' life. We're told there in verse 40, "...and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom." He was surrounded by people who promoted this. And, and I think that had to have impacted, that had to have been a thought for God when He chose who is going to be the mother of Christ, who is going to be the man and the woman who raise up my son. He puts him around a couple who cherishes obedience. Verse 39, as it's described, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, their concern was for the things of God. And subsequently, through their faithfulness, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Now, could Jesus have grown in favor and wisdom in a secular family, in a family who didn't care about the things of God? Yeah, he could have. Well, I think God puts 
these things in for us, that Luke records these things for us because I think Luke himself had a concern for obeying God. I think Luke is trying to present to his readers that it doesn't just matter what Christ has done, though that is of utmost significance. It matters that we live according to the truth of what we believe Jesus having done. If Jesus really has redeemed his people, if we really can be saved by God, then we truly are going to be changed by God. When I think about who I want to be, I want to be an exposed sinner saved by God's grace in Christ. When I think about who I want to be, I want to be known as an exposed sinner, one who has seen the light, one who has come into contact with the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel can only work whenever I'm willing to admit that I have lived in darkness and that there is still some darkness in me, but that the light of the gospel is Jesus Christ himself and that he has come to save me and to purify me that He has come to change me, that He has come to set me on a new course, to live according to the light. And so I want to be an exposed sinner. I want it to be known that, that I have been saved, that I've needed salvation, and that I was saved by God's grace in Christ. So as we look forward to the beginning of Jesus growing up, as we look forward to our growth this year, this upcoming year, as individuals, as a people together, as a church, who who has God called us to be? Who has God called you to be? Who do you want to be? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for the example of the people around your son. God, we'll have much time to look at the ministry of Christ. We'll have much time to look at the example that he himself has set. God, help us just this week as we encounter it through your word, through what you have written down through Luke, that Jesus himself was surrounded by people who were righteous and devout, that he, even from his earliest days, had people who cared about obeying you and who gave him that example to follow. And so I pray that we, as your children, would be obedient, that we would be known as sinners saved by grace, 
and that we would proclaim it as Anna proclaimed it, that this boy, that this man, Jesus, is the one who we have been waiting for, the one who is the answer to all of our hopes and dreams, the one who is true, the one who is holy, the one who is righteous. And so help us to put on his righteousness. Help us to walk in his righteousness as we have received it because we have repented, because we have believed that we've needed it. So God, we thank you for the example of your son. We thank you for the example of those around your son. And I pray that you would strengthen us through your spirit as we look to walk in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.